This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to a bonus episode where I am going to share with you a snippet and excerpt from the brand new audiobook, 13 Steps to Evil, How to Craft a Super Bad Villain, narrated by yours truly, Sasha Black. We're going to dive straight in. There's no intro this week as it is just a bonus episode. If you would like to listen to the full audiobook of 13 Steps to Evil, How to Craft a Super Bad Villain, then you can. It is on all stores where you can buy audio. Um, it is going through the uh, library system as well, so you will be able to uh, uh, request a copy from your library. Um, please do try, and if you do do it that way, please let me know if you manage to do it successfully. Um, yes, yeah, so you can buy your copy from anywhere. You can use your Audible credits or you can also get it direct from me by visiting sashablack.co.uk and clicking through to the shop. I hope you enjoy this little preview of the latest, uh, latest, the first ever <laughs> audiobook self-narrated uh, by me. Step one. Villainy 101. Screw Superman, your novel needs a Lex Luthor lovin. Every writer at some point in their book writing career has a secret love affair with their hero or protagonist. And if it's not the dashing protagonist we writers swoon over, then it's his or her love interest. As soon as we ink those first words on the page, a festival of lovins and hero worship begins. Tut tut. We writers have been foolish. Why didn't our word mothers ever teach us the hero doesn't matter? Maybe it will come as a surprise to you, but for the sake of your novel, you ought to know. Your hero is not the most important character in your novel. Your villain is. I know. Don't freak out. It's a truth I found hard to accept too, but believe me, it is true. Think about it. Would Metropolis have needed Superman in all his glorious lycra-wearing amazingness if it weren't for Lex Luthor and his plans for world domination? Probably not. Old Clark K would have knocked up Lois Lane quick time as they created their version of unfairly attractive mini-me's in a suburban nightmare. There's a meme on the internet that says behind every successful man is a woman. Let's flip that on its head. Behind every successful hero is a villain. Let me ask you a question. What is the most important aspect when constructing a novel? Some writers are long-term supporters of the plot camp. Others, the character camp, both are important. But I'd argue for something more fundamental than either plot or characters. To me, the most important aspect of a novel is conflict. Without conflict, you have nothing. Your plot and characters flatline beyond the help of any crash cart. The plot is based on conflict. No conflict, no plot. If there's no conflict, there's nothing to make your characters change or grow through their character arc, which means there are no characters either. Let's look at a couple of examples. Example, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling. The main conflict comes from a prophecy made by Professor Trelawney. A boy born at the end of July will defeat the Dark Lord Voldemort. There's your conflict, a prophecy of defeat. 
This creates the need for a boy character, born at the appropriate time, Harry, for the evil wizard Voldemort to hunt and kill so he can prevent the prophecy occurring. But, oh, the irony. Voldemort is a self-fulfilling prophecy because going after Harry is what puts him in a six-foot hole before the first novel starts. And so the world of Harry Potter begins. Example, Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. Two families are at war. Therefore, love and relationships between the families are forbidden. This creates the characters Romeo from one family and Juliet from the other. And the plot. Romeo and Juliet falling in love with each other without knowing who the other is. From conflict derives your plot and all your characters. Heroism doesn't come cheap. Heroes have to work for their book pages. And that's where your villain comes in. To have a hero, you need some tentacle-faced supervillain to stand in their way, even if the villain's an intangible hatred between Romeo and Juliet's families. Your villain's wants and needs create conflict for your hero, and your story is the tale of who wins, hero or tentacle-face. Because their goals conflict, the tale will result in repeated twisty-turny, head-bashing, blood-spilling conflict. That is action, and it drives the plot forward, keeping the reader gripped to the page. Without someone opposing your hero and creating conflict, there isn't a need for the hero, which means there isn't a story either. Villain engineering, the plot device. In technical terms, villains are little literary troublemakers, also known as a plot device. And a plot device is any mechanism within a book that moves the plot forward. Your villain needs to be a plot thorn in your hero's ass. His goals should oppose or threaten your heroes because it creates conflict and everybody loves a scandal. He also needs to pursue his goal with as much forehead-creasing determination as your hero does. Add a sprinkle of villains and a dash of antagonists. The words villain and antagonist get thrown around interchangeably like stolen booze in a teenage nightclub. But villains are not the same as antagonists. They are not mutually exclusive. An antagonist is a character or thing that opposes the protagonist or hero. A villain is an antagonist because they oppose the hero. But an antagonist does not have to be a villain. A villain indicates some level of evil, while an antagonist does not. For example, if you write non-fiction memoirs, you're more likely to find a real-life antagonist because the stories are personal. But in a fiction book about gangsters, you're liable to find villains because they commit crimes and hurt people. This is one of those writer things that can create blurred edges and a lot of word fog. So let's continue using Harry Potter as an example because it has both villains and antagonists. Lord Voldemort is, without a doubt, a villain. He is one evil Mama Potter killer who regularly commits unspeakable acts of evil. Draco Malfoy, however, while teetering on the edge of evil, never quite makes it. He's more of a nuisance to Harry. Like when you're making fajitas and rub chilli in your eye. It's bloody annoying and stings like a bitch, but it won't kill you. Draco Malfoy is an antagonist. One part hero to two parts protagonist. 
Let's give ourselves déjà vu. Like villains and antagonists, heroes and protagonists are not the same either. While the majority of novels use the same character for the protagonist as the hero, not all do. Protagonists are the subject of the story. It's who the book is about. But the hero is someone of extraordinary ability, albeit not necessarily magical powers, who does good things. Batman is a non-magical classic hero. He's a normal guy who happens to be kick-ass because he saves a bunch of people's lives by beating the crappets out of the bad ones. But your hero doesn't have to be a kid's cartoon cutout superhero. He could just as easily be the neighbour who runs into the road in front of a car to save your protagonist's suicidal dog. Or the money mogul who sees the light and decides she can't be fulfilled unless she gives away her fortune. It's becoming more popular for novels to have an anti-hero for a protagonist, but more on anti-heroes in step 7. In The Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter is a villain, but he is also the protagonist. The story is about him and what he did, but the hero of the story is Clarice Starling, an FBI agent trying to solve the crimes of another serial killer. Gone Girl has two protagonists, a couple, one of whom turns out to be the villain. Why writers fudge up their villains? Villains are like newborn infants, so much glorious potential. Until we writers get our grubby mitts on them and balls it up. With the careless flick of a pen, we can turn a finely sculpted baby villain into a cringeworthy cliché because we didn't make him bad enough, or we create something so heinously evil it's unrealistic. A villain might be a plot device, but he still needs a purpose and a goal, or he's unworthy as an opponent for your hero. See step 3 for motives and goals. While researching this book, writers told me all kinds of problems they encountered while creating their villains. From getting the dialogue right and avoiding cliches, to knowing how evil to make a villain, to how to reveal her motives without using blatant exposition. Behind all these issues lie two basic barriers that are the Achilles in every writer's villainous heel. One. Depending on the point of view of the books written in, the villain is usually seen through the eyes of your hero. A solitary pov gives you a page-limited amount of time to show your villain's best, most authentic and devilishly evil side. Page-limited to the point it makes it eye-wateringly difficult to convey her backstory effectively without information dumping. You have to be better, clearer, more tactical and more concise with your words to create super bad villains. 2. Writers are hero worshippers. We love our heroes and protagonists more than our spouses, and as a result, we spend shameful amounts of time honing our protagonists' muscular heroics into shape. But that relegates our villain, the plot-driving conflict creator, to the corner of our book, complete with a nobody-loves-you-anyway hat. In other words, writers don't pay enough attention to their villain. And now for something a little philosophical. Let me prod your morally inclined cells with a few questions. When you take that first life-giving sip of coffee in the morning, sat in front of the news, and you see the same depression-inducing stories you've heard over and over again, have you ever asked yourself when you became numb? 
We watch the news like it's a rerun of a classic Friends episode, with barely a passing interest and only the occasional flicker of an eyebrow when something mildly controversial is covered. But the news is full of more dark nastiness than one of my son's soiled nappies. We are saturated with bad news. It's thrown at us multiple times a day, whether it's the news, through advertising or the photoshopped bodies in magazines. And because of it, what we used to think of as wrong, children before marriage or wrists and ankles on show, is now laughable. Our definition of bad has changed immeasurably. To write a good villain, and by good I mean super bad, dictionary definitions and your trusty pocket guide to psychopaths aren't good enough anymore. You need to decide what wrong and evil mean to you because society is going to keep changing its mind. If a mother steals a loaf of bread for her starving child, is that wrong or evil? Most would say no, but what if she took it from a struggling shopkeeper? What if that theft made his business go into liquidation, and his wife left him, and then he committed suicide? Does that make what she did wrong or evil? The answer doesn't matter. One character's immoral actions could be another's survival. What's important is drawing out some semblance of a personal philosophy. Would you have stolen the bread? What if you don't know how evil is too evil? Or are you worried your villain only hits the pint-sized mark on the evil measuring stick of doom? Then find your morally inclined line and figure out if you're chucking your villain over it or not. Unless you're a bona fide sociopath, the likelihood is your moral balance beam isn't that different to the rest of us. Use your morals as a villain compass. Point north for bread-thieving mummers and south for frothy demons guarding the gates of hell. Okay, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that excerpt. And if you did, don't forget the audiobook of 13 Steps to Evil, How to Craft a Superbad Villain, is now live on all of the good stores. Please do go and check it out. And uh, if you do, please leave a review as well. And I will catch you next week. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. Mm